0: It. There Amen. is no name greater than the name of Jesus. He Amen. is able to do anything. There is no other name under heaven or earth by which men may be saved. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. His name is above. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So, Lord, we just bless you. We praise you. We thank you for the name of Jesus, that all authority has been given to the name of Jesus. And, God, we pray that by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would be with us today, God, that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, through your word, through... uh, The working of your spirit in our life, God, change us, transform us, make us something that we weren't before when we walked through this door, God. Transform us into the saints you've called us to be. In your name we pray, in the highest name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, before you take a seat, look around at somebody, shake a hand, greet them, let them know that Jesus' name is the name above all names. Well, good morning, friends. Welcome, Lynbrook Baptist Church. I am so glad to be here with you. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Nathan. I am your interim pastor. I'm also a teaching pastor at Shelter Rock Church. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, last week, Pastor Steve was here, and he introduced me a bit. Uh, but we'll get to know each other a little bit more throughout uh, my time here. But I'm excited to be with you today, as you can tell. I am... Uh, Uh, Very excited. Now, the only thing I'm not excited about is I'm not used to being tethered. I like to walk around and move, but uh, no big deal. Uh, If I start to stray too far and you can't hear me, uh, raise your hand, call me out. Uh, do something. Hey, Susan, I see Susan here. Uh, Susan sometimes is at Shelter Rock, but I, uh, she, she's actually there quite often. I'm surprised to see you here. But it's a pleasure to be with you today, and I am looking forward to what Jesus is going to do through this church. You are such a diverse, beautiful group of people. I was so impressed last week. People asked me, how did it go, and what did you think? And I said, wow, it's a great group of people. They love Jesus, so I'm excited uh, to hit the ground running, and I now I say that, but I'm going on vacation, so I won't be back uh, for uh, the, next Sunday. But I will be seeing you soon, and we will uh, we will hit the ground running together. We are looking forward to seeing what God's Spirit does through this church. Well, we are continuing our series through 2 Timothy. Now, we're going to go through the book of 2 Timothy verse by verse. If you were here last week, Pastor Steve preached what I thought was a great message on uh, uh, the very first uh, seven verses of chapter 1. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, he preached 1 through 7. Now, he reminded us that, that Timothy had been uh, the recipient of a legacy from his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. And he, uh, we learned that Timothy had received a gift through the laying on of hands and was reminded to fan into flame that gift. Now, uh, this is important. Why? Why would he need to fan into flame? Well, because, and let me know if you hear me well, there, are, there was some concern that there might have been some shame attached to this gift. I mean, this is a young pastor, Timothy. And Paul's writing him to say, hey, don't be ashamed of the gift that you've been given. And one of those gifts that he was given was the gift of the gospel. Now, uh, would you be ashamed of that gift? Now, immediately people say, if you're a Christian, oh, no, I wouldn't. But we oftentimes are met with a sense of shame. I mean, have you ever been ashamed of a gift you received or maybe being seen with somebody who was acting a little, well, different, or maybe something else? Has anything that you've ever encountered in your life brought you shame in some way? I mean, maybe it's something that you said. I've said some pretty stupid things in my life. and Or maybe it's a post on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. Maybe you made a video and you're like, ah, I don't know, it's a little cringeworthy kind of thing. Anything ever brought you shame? Shame is an all too common emotion among humans. It just is. And sometimes it's hard to stand up against the social pressure that comes with it. I mean, sometimes it's hard to actually resist the pressure of change, of shame that is. Sometimes we succumb to pressure. I don't know, has anyone ever been there? You ever kind of caved to pressure? Well, don't worry. Even though we aren't able to resist shame sometimes, God is able. Amen? God is able. Now, last week you learned that I grew up in the Midwest. And although I grew up in the Midwest on a farm, 110 acres, raised by my grandparents, running around barefooted, uh, (laughs) uh, I moved to southeastern Tennessee, and I lived there for 10 years. And I went to school there. It's beautiful. There are all these mountains in Tennessee. I mean, if you've never been there, uh, you should go. Pigeon Forge, uh, Gatlinburg, maybe you've, some of you have been to Dollywood. Do you, you know, actually, one of the most famous people that's from that region because there are Appalachian Mountains there is Dolly Parton. Did you know? Dolly Parton is one of the most famous people from, and th- yeah, this is a picture of her. So uh, now... The thing is, she grew up very, very poor, and she tells a story that when she was young and in school, and kids, you may, some of you are in school, her somebody gave her mother a bunch of rags. It was a just a, a box of, uh, my grandmother would call it patchwork, and it was getting very uh, late in the fall, and Dolly did not have a coat. Very poor. Her mother took those rags and put them to use. There's a song called Coat of Many Colors. They were all these different colors, kind of like you were going to make a quilt, a patch. She patched these things together and formed a coat for Dolly. Dolly was so proud of this. Her mother told her a story as she was stitching it. She told her the story of Joseph. Anybody know the story of Joseph in the Bible and his coat of many colors? Well. This is exactly the kind of coat. If you look at this picture up here of of, uh, Dolly, you see all the different colors. It was patchwork. They made a movie, actually, based on this. I didn't know until I was looking for an image. But she goes to school in this coat. And for Joseph, the coat of many colors was a blessing. But as she goes to school, she was surprised to find that all of the kids were making fun of her because she was poor And the coat didn't look like everybody else's. It was stitched together from colorful rags. But Dolly stood up for her coat. She told her friends all the love her mother had sewn in every stitch and how that Joseph in the Bible had a coat of many colors. She was bold with her her pride in this coat, this, this, this work that her mother had done. She wasn't ashamed of the treasure that she received. And sometimes we can be ashamed of the treasure God's given us. You know, I, was, uh, I told you I was raised by my grandparents. My grandmother one time, um, she, she kept a bunch of rags, and she would stitch things up. We had holes in our clothes and things. She would patch them. One of my youngest brothers, Shannon, he had a friend over one time who had come and with a pair of new jeans, distressed jeans, Jeans that had all kinds of holes in it, and this kid spent the night. Well, my grandmother looked at these and she thought, oh no, this poor kid, how can he go to school like this? So when he went to bed, she had my youngest brother bring those pants to him, those jeans that he'd paid a lot of money for. And she got out some patches and she stitched them up. She was so glad, she thought, he'll be so glad to see that his jeans don't have holes in them, he, except the next morning, and he is mortified. But, of course, he doesn't say anything to my grandmother. One person's blessing is another person's curse. He wasn't so proud. I'll bet you what, he didn't, he didn't wear those jeans to school the next day. But you see how sometimes what we receive we're very proud of. But other times it can be a cause of embarrassment. Sometimes we're gifted with a treasure that others are going to mock. And the question are, are you ashamed? Because you've received a treasure of the gospel. Are you willing to share your treasure in the face of hostility and shame and scorn? Because you will encounter that as a Christian. Sometimes we need encouragement. That's just the truth. And this is exactly why a seasoned pastor, that is Paul, writes to this younger pastor, Timothy, to encourage him. And he wrote from terrible conditions, with nasty conditions. Paul was imprisoned in a place called the Anum. Now, here's a picture of this, and I don't know that you can see it well from where you are, I hope. But uh, he is on death row. Now, you'll remember Steve told you a little bit of the background, but apparently he had been a, uh Released from house arrest, gone out and preached some more, gets rearrested, and now he 's thrown into this place Now this place can we let 's keep this image up there just one uh, uh, just a little bit longer if you 'll notice that there you see the prisoners down in the bottom, and right above it is a hole well it 's essentially a cesspool, and i don 't know if you can make this out, but these would be a place with um, uh, refuse i 'm trying to clean up the words here. Uh, A dirty place. These prisoners are down there in a very dank, dark, stinky, terrible environment. And it's from there that Paul writes a word of encouragement. He writes this letter on death row to to this young man, Timothy. Now, it takes something to write a letter from those conditions. Think about it. I mean, you're imprisoned in these nasty conditions. So Paul and Timothy both faced temptation, the temptation of shame and suffering, but they did not cave to that shame, but instead were willing to suffer to share the faith because they knew that God would guard the gift that he had entrusted to them. God would see them through from beginning to end. Let's take a look at that. If you'll open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 8 through 12. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 12. And it's going to be on the screen. So if we can put that up on the screen, it says this, starting with verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, verse 10. But it has been uh, now, but now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, verses 11 and 12. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I am am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Amen? Amen? Amen to God's word. God is able. Now there are three things I want you to glean from God's word today. The first is this. Rely on God's power. The second is this. Rest in God's provision. And finally, respond to God's protection. Now, let's take a look at each one in turn. First, rely on God's power. So the scripture says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. By what? By the power of God. You're a quiet church. So say it together. By the power of God. Amen? Yes, by the power of God. Okay, so Paul tells Timothy to not be ashamed of the crucified Christ or his imprisoned messenger. Now, this would have been something because this is an honor-shame culture. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you're Indian, for example, you know what it's like to come up in a shame-based culture. Who you're associated with, there's one degree of separation, right? Everybody knows everybody. And the last thing you want to do is be associated with some Messiah who was crucified. That was the worst possible death. It was a shameful death. And not only that, but there's this guy who is now associating himself with that crucified Messiah, that is Paul, and he's in prison. Are you going to hang out with a convict? That's the question. I mean, Timothy should probably be feeling some pressure, don't you think? I mean, he lives in a shame-based society. It's honor and shame. Who, Who... who is going to stand up for the gospel? I mean, Jesus was crucified, but thank God he raised was raised from the dead. Paul's associated with him, but to be associated with Paul, this is something. Yet, Paul's writing Timothy, don't be ashamed, not of the Christ that was crucified, nor of me, his prisoner. Amen? So, Paul invites Timothy to... Co-suffer. Now, the verse says this, join with me in suffering, but it's actually just one Greek word. The Greek word literally means co-suffer. Suffer Suffer together. To co-suffer. Now, this is the first formal imperative of the 33 that appear in 2 Timothy. Now, what's an imperative? It's basically a command. There are 33 in 2 Timothy. This is the first one. Co-suffer. Suffer with me. Join me in suffering. This is no small thing. Timothy is told to share in the suffering that comes with being a committed Christian. And if you are a committed Christian, you're going to face some suffering in your life. You're not exempted from suffering. It's just how that goes. I mean, see, the gospel is a treasure that brings trouble. And if you don't believe me, Proclaim it on social media. Make a TikTok video about that. I mean, post it. You know, we're, we're very, it's easy to be bold about Jesus in the church. It's not quite so easy to do the same thing in our workplace, in our school, outside. There's this pressure. You know what? In New York, I noticed when I moved up here. Uh, there's a pressure. There, you keep that to yourself. All faith is private. can't be public. But God's called us to a higher standard, friends. Amen? So, actually, suffering for God, co-suffering for the gospel, should not bring shame, but it should bring power that we can boast in. Romans 1, verse 16 says just as much. So, how can we do this? How can we not be ashamed of the gospel when there's so much pressure to be ashamed? God's power will enable those people who are suffering to endure persecution, uh, and if you're proclaiming the gospel, you will be persecuted to one degree or the other. We live in a country where we're not persecuted much. People mock us mainly, try to embarrass us, make us feel ashamed. It's not like you're being stoned. It's not like you're being put to death. But still, it's shame. But we shouldn't be because we can rely on God's power. And that power comes via grace. Uh, Uh, Look at the the next verse. In fact, the next two verses are part of a creed or a hymn. This would be an early church hymn. Uh, Verse 9 would have been sung, verses 9 and 10 would have been sung by Christians, early Christians, very early on. They would have memorized it. They would have known it. But notice what it says. It says, he has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God's grace enables co-suffering. You see, God is the one who does the saving. Did you know that? God saves. He takes the initiative. God justifies us. And then it says he calls us to a holy calling. Now, what do I mean by this holy calling? I mean, we're to live the lives of saints. Do you know you're called to be a saint? That's where we get that word sanctify, that, the word holy hagios in Greek. It just means to be set apart. But not only have we been justified because God took the initiative and he saved us, but he sanctifies us through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is conforming us to the image of Christ. That fancy word, sanctification, all it means is that we're being shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. We are being shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. From the beginning, God starts the work. Through the middle, God is doing the work. And by the way, it is God who will complete the work. He is the one who takes the initiative before the beginning of time. In Christ, God saves, he sanctifies, and he uses believers according to his purpose. And by the way, if you're here today, God has a purpose for your life. You may not know what it is yet, but he will reveal that purpose to you. But one of those things that it's going to entail is boldness, holy boldness to stand up ...for your faith against an onslaught of shame, derision, and mocking that comes from the world. Are you able to do that? Yes, you are, by relying on the power of God. We've been called to a set-apart life, and it's by grace. Now, I know many of you will say, well, grace is God's unmerited favor. We parrot that one, and that's true. That's not wrong, but that's not the only thing this word means... Grace means God's empowering presence. Amen? Grace is God's empowering presence. His grace will sustain you. His grace saved you. His grace will keep you. His grace will glorify you in the end. Amen? Amen. So, we're saved by grace through faith. But why don't we rely on this grace, this power? Because it seems like sometimes we don't. I mean, it's kind of like being in the middle of the ocean, and you're sure to die, and you're trying to get to land, and you're rowing away with all your might and with all your strength, only to realize that this is a self-propelled motorboat. Why on earth would you be trying to save yourself? You'd never be able to cross the distance on your own. The truth is, the distance between us and God is infinite. You never get there. It takes an infinite being to cross the chasm to reach us. Amen? And we need to trust in his grace. So in Christ resides God's grace. God's grace resides in Christ. sans creation and time. Now, why did I say it that way? I can't say before time, because there's a point at which time didn't exist, Creation. Space, time, and matter come into being at a certain point for all you eggheads out there. So I have to say, sans creation, God, in Christ, poured out his grace for his people. It's the truth. And you can receive it. This grace was granted in Christ for God's people before the ages began. It says, Revelation uh, chapter 13, verse 8. God's power was at work at the beginning. We're relying on his power. And his His provision is presently revealed in Christ, a provision we can rest in. It's a provision we can rest in. And so this is the first part of the hymn, but the hymn continues. Look at what it says in verse verse 10. But it has now presently been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Think about what's been done. Rest, this is the second point, rest in God's provision. Christ has put death to death. This is a powerful statement. This uh, Greek word is in what is called the aorist tense. It means that it, it speaks of something that has been completed in the past, but it has continuous action. It's, it's over. It's done. It's completed. God has destroyed death Through Christ Jesus. Death has been put to death. And it's brought life and mortality. Death has been rendered. uh, uh, It's been nullified. It's been rendered obsolete. Now, we have been granted everlasting life. Now, by the way, if you are saved, do you know that everlasting life begins now? It's not just for the by and by, but it is presently here. If you are born again everlasting life has begun for you already. Jesus has nullified the effects of death. He has put death to death. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't mean that we don't physically die, but it does mean that we can say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Because in the end, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not height, not depth not with any dimension as far as you can go god's love is infinite it can reach you there is no persecution there is no demon there is no person there is no thing in the world nothing created nothing can separate you from god's love it's the promise that we have the gospel is the means by which God shines his light on what he has accomplished. And we can rest in it. You don't have to strive. You can't save yourself. Jesus paid it all. He did the work for us. So we can lean into that. We can rest in that. We can fall back into the arms of grace, knowing that God has done it all through Christ Jesus. And here's the thing. This gospel... These are not mere nice words. This is the power of God unto salvation, friends. Write the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, (laughs) Now that we see it, we need to proclaim it, friends. We can't just be talking to ourselves here. And now that we see it, we must respond to the promise because there is a promise of protection here. And this is the third thing we're going to realize. Respond to God's protection. This is a key. Look at verse 11. And this and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Now, it's interesting that he puts the word herald first because Paul sees himself first as an evangelist as someone who will go out and proclaim the gospel. We're called to do just that same thing. And then he says, that is why I am suffering as I am. The gospel is a message that can, it's a treasure that can bring trouble. You can suffer for the gospel. He's on death row down in a cesspool, essentially. And yet, he says about uh, uh, this gospel and the suffering he says yet this is no cause for shame you see shame and suffering are things you're going to endure but shame is is not something that we should shrink away from suffering does not equal shame paul says do you know if you suffer i mean people will try to heap scorn on you but you don't have to be ashamed did you know that I mean, people will try to make you ashamed. They may taunt you. They may mock you. They may fire you. They may not hire you. They may discriminate against you. They may make you the butt of jokes. But, friends, Jesus died on a cross to give us this good news. Paul suffered in a prison for this good news. And just because you suffer doesn't mean you have to be ashamed. Yet this is no cause for shame, it says. And then it goes further. It says, "Because I know who I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day." Look at these words just for a second. The first is is this. He uh, says, "He is able to guard." Uh, Jesus is able to do the guarding now. The question becomes, is this, if have we relinquished to him the guarding part, or are we trying to do it in our own strength? Now, by the way, we do have a part to play, not in our salvation. And we'll see next week that, do you know if you're saved and have faith? a saved person is called to work, to do things, so, but we don't work to get saved, but we're saved so that we can work, so there, there, there is this tension between God's work in our life, and the responsibility he's called us to, but I want to say, ask you this, when you go to school, when you go to work, when you uh, are out in the world, outside these walls, do you share your faith, Are you like Dolly Parton wearing your coat of many colors and you don't care what everybody else thinks? Or are you like my brother's friend who got his his knees patched up and I'm not going to wear those to school? I mean, which one are you? Are you relying on your own power or are you anxiously or restlessly trying to earn God's favor or the favor of people? By the way, the, the, the favor of people is fleeting. It just is. One minute they love you, the next minute they don't. I mean, it's just, you know, (laughs) uh, if you're you're trying to get people to like you, give it up. You've got better things to do. Thirsty. Do we pretend not to know Jesus? Are we ashamed of him? You know what Jesus said about that? He said this. He says, "If anyone is ashamed of me, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation and we're in that generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his father's glory with the holy, comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I want you to think about this. Jesus says, "If you are ashamed of him and ashamed of his gospel, he'll be ashamed of you when he returns." Christians should not be the type of people. ...that hide their light under a bushel. I mean, we want to see this church filled. Don't you want to see this church filled? I want to see it. There's no reason why it can't be. This is a growing church. And God's going to fill the church. But he's going to do it because his spirit is going to draw people... ...and he's going to use you to proclaim the gospel to them. Not only in the words you say, but it does require the words you say. Remember, it's words, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of his words. But also in the way you live your life as saints... So, don't be ashamed to know him. Don't be ashamed of those who know him. You see, uh, and let's go right back to verses 11 and 12 one more time. I want you to see this. I know whom I believe. He says the, the reason why he's not ashamed, that the reason that why there's no cause for shame, is because he knows whom he believes. Jesus knows us, and Paul knew Jesus. Jesus knew Paul, Paul knew Jesus. Now, what am I trying to say here? Um, See, the promise of protection is not a promise to not suffer or experience hardship. You're going to. It's a promise that God will be with us through the suffering and will ultimately vindicate all those who, who know him. Now, in Christ, we see a God who suffers. The reason why Paul was willing to suffer is because he knew a Christ who suffered for him. Do you know that Jesus suffers with his people and for his people. God in Christ suffers with us and for us. Do you know that? And if you are suffering, I want to tell you something. We have a Savior who can be touched, a high priest who can be touched. The Bible says that in all points he was tempted like we were yet without sin. But in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that this Jesus, this Savior, this high priest, he can empathize with us. There isn't anything you're going through that our Jesus himself hasn't gone through. And he's invited you to know him. And this is what Paul says, I know the one I believe in whom I believe. Now, you need to know something about this word know. It's not the typical way we use know, like just a bunch of facts and knowledge. Actually, there was a Hebraic sense. Remember, Paul is a Pharisee among Pharisees. He is using a Hebraic sense, and he's writing to Timothy, who his mother was Jewish. So he has a Judaic background. But what does this word know mean? It means to know something experientially and dynamically. To know Christ is not just head knowledge. Do you know that the book of James says that demons believe that God exists and they tremble? If you believe God exists, you've got demon faith. That's just as far as that goes. But to know him, to really have faith and trust in him, that kind of faith is, to, put, is to, saw, to crawl out on the limb and saw it off behind you. It is to put all of your trust in Jesus. So the Jesus that we trust in, we put all of our trust in. We know him. So to know God isn't to know facts about God, isn't to know that God exists. It's to experience God dynamically. Amen? Does that make sense? So why could Paul write this? Why is there no cause for shame? Because Paul knows Jesus intimately. He knows him experientially. He knows him dynamically. This is like a marriage. It's not about knowing. I could learn facts about each one of you, but I wouldn't know you. I mean, I could talk to one of your spouses who know you. They could tell me a lot more. But memorizing details about you, and I'm going to try to learn your names, start there, but that's not the same thing as knowing you. It's intimacy. Knowing what we believe is vitally important and knowing why we believe takes that step of faith just one step further. But there is a prior and greater need. We need to know whom we believe. We have to know him intimately. Christianity is not some enlightened moral code or abstract philosophy. It is a heart relationship, a faith relationship with someone. Someone who is able to protect us. The key is relying on God's power and resting in his provision. The key is being unashamed of Jesus and his good news and knowing him intimately. See, this is not a relationship of convenience, because I can conveniently know each one of you. Give me enough time, I'll learn your names. But this is a relationship of commitment. It's not convenience. It's commitment. It's a marriage. This is what we've been called to. This is what Paul was called to. This is why he was able to not be ashamed. See, it's the one that you know intimately that will guard the gift he was given you and keep it, uh, and keep you until Judgment Day. That scripture, can we put that up one more time? I'm still getting used to... Uh, this, the, it, where, I'm, where I usually preach, I, those scriptures stay in front of me. So I know the one in whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day. Jesus is the one. I want to walk away from the, the, the mic. I've got to watch myself. He's the one that's able to guard until that day. Now, what day are we talking about? We're talking about Judgment Day. This is the fancy phrase is the eschatological day of the Lord. Jesus returns. And he will greet us, and he will welcome us home. We need to be bold then. Uh, there's no need for shame. Declare that you know him and receive his protection. But that raises this question. Do you know him? I mean, not just about him. I mean, do you know him intimately? Are you ashamed of him and it's good news? I mean, or... Maybe you fear suffering. Nobody wants to suffer. I don't want to suffer. Who, who wants to suffer? Do you know him? There's a story I want to tell you about a guy named Dan Reaver. Now, Dan, Dan was a uh, Vietnam vet and he served for, uh, well, he served as a forward gunner in the U.S. Navy's elite brown water black beret. Sounds very impressive. And it was. He was severely wounded when a white phosphorus grenade went off six inches from his face, and it left his body burned beyond recognition. He lost 60 pounds of flesh and 40 percent of his skin. Terrible. Now medics amazingly were able to stabilize him, and they transferred him uh, to this burn facility in the states. So. There he is being treated in the States, but he was recently married, and he looked forward to seeing Brenda, his new bride. And he was anxious about how she might respond to his physical condition. And this makes sense. If you think about it, he's been burnt from head to toe. His worst fears materialized when a woman walked into the room. See, Dave identified her as this woman who was married to an injured man in the room. And recognizing her picture from that was on this other guy's table, he knew this was his wife, and it it was clear that she was uncomfortable. I mean, she contorted her face and she covered her nose because of the smell of burnt flesh. It's a terrible smell. Because the uh, dozen patients in the room were so disfigured, the woman could not recognize her husband. So Dave watched her go from bed to bed, reading the name on the clipboard that hung at the foot of each bed finally she found her husband and double checking the name she slowly walked up to him now dave had rehearsed the scene and what it might look like maybe a million times in his head about what it would be when his wife arrived but of all the potential scenarios dave had not considered this one the woman took off her wedding ring and placed it on the nightstand beside her picture as she turned to walk away a nurse came up to her and said you know wait, don't rush off. You don't want to make a rash decision. The woman pushed her aside and says, I can't be seen with him. And forever she walked out of his life. Now, Dave was grateful that his friend wasn't awake to see this because uh, how traumatizing. But now he, he was really worried, and, and he'd hoped that Brenda would not respond the same way, so he prepared himself for the worst. Brenda arrived the next afternoon, and Dave noticed the initial horror on her face, like everybody else's, the, 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 the first time she sees this kind of thing. and, and uh, She tried to veil the shock, but people, if you've ever walked into a burn ward, you, you can't. It, 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 at first, it is shocking. You try to hide it, but she couldn't. I mean, And she, too, began to go from bed to bed, reading names, to find him. Dave closed his eyes, not wanting to face the potential reality. He heard her approaching with slow, measured steps. Uh, Brenda wore the perfume Dave purchased for her, and he could smell it. He knew she was getting close. Not able to wait any longer, he opened his eyes, just as as she kissed him on the worst part, of his burned face and whispered in his ear, Welcome home, Davy. Welcome home. There is a God who will never break his vow to you. He'll embrace you at your weakest and your worst. He will remain faithful through the suffering and even through death. He'll walk through the fire for you and with you. You see, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if God keeps you from suffering, praise him. But if in his sovereignty he allows you to suffer or die for him, know this, he's with you. And he will welcome you home. Welcome home. Jesus endured the shame for each one of us. He suffered for us, and he suffers with us now. There isn't a pain you feel, a hurt you've experienced, a shame that's been cast your way that Jesus does not feel. Don't be ashamed of him. He will welcome us home on that day. Amen. Now, maybe you don't know Jesus, and if you don't know him, you can. He wants to know you. Not like the way people know facts, your height, your weight, your date of birth. The Jesus I know wants to know you intimately, and he wants you to know him intimately. And maybe you've been in church for a long time, and you know all about Jesus. You just don't know Jesus. Well, if that's you, I want to invite you to know him. And maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe... This is the first time you've ever thought about this. But you want to make heaven your home. You want to hear Jesus say, welcome home. If that's you and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. And the God, God's word promises this, this that if we, if we trust in Jesus, that is not have devil faith and believe he exists, But we put all our trust in him, that we say, I believe in you, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want you to know me, and I want you to know you. I open myself up to you. If you will pray that prayer, if you will believe those things, that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved, the scripture says. So, can we pray? Father... We come to you as people who are sometimes ashamed, sometimes discouraged, and, and always weak in our own strength. And Father, I ask, we ask, for those of us who have been hearing about you for a long time but have never come to know you intimately, that you, Lord Jesus, would come into our life. We're sorry for our sins, Lord. Please come in and be the Lord of our life, Lord. We give ourselves to you, Lord. And for those of us who know you but have been timid or ashamed or lacking boldness, God, we pray that you strengthen us. Holy Spirit, come into our lives. Strengthen us through the power of your Spirit, Lord, we pray. Save us because we can't save ourselves, God. Welcome us home at the end of the age, and in the present, make us your saints. Strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, I think. Just, I think we've got some announcements. Last slide. There we go. Rely on God's power. You know, God's, Jesus has done it all. He's He's paid it all, so we can also rest in His provision. And we need to respond to his protection. It doesn't mean we'll never suffer, but what it does mean that we are guarded until the end of the age, and Jesus is going to welcome us home. So let me send you out with a blessing. Father, I pray for your people, God. I pray that you use them as your instruments of righteousness in the world, God, that they would be lights unto the world, Lord. Uh, that you would use them as lamps, Lord, that you would cause them to burn brightly for Jesus, Lord, that you would make them a set-apart people, a holy people, God. So, Lord, let your blessings rest on them, Lord. Let them be overcomers, God. Cause them to thrive in everything that they do. Give them holy boldness, Lord. Lead them out with your joy and your peace, your shalom. In Jesus' name, amen.